many of us, probably through hearing the prayers of others, have learned to close our prayers with, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Perhaps for many of us, it's become habitual because we just thought it was the right thing to do. It's the right way to end a prayer. And as for amen, I remember that as a young Christian, I just thought it meant something like, I'm done, uh, the end. Uh, and so uh, some even today, you hear people using it as a word of agreement or affirmation to somebody who says something else. So we use that word in various ways. I needed to look deeper into the expression in Jesus' name. And I want you to think through it with me today and um, understanding how to pray in Jesus' name is vital for a healthy, um, powerful prayer life. So let's look at it together. Why are we interested in praying in Jesus' name? Why is that a topic? What do we need to know about that? Well, in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then in John chapter 16 and verse 24, he said, Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be made full. So we need to know what it means to pray in Jesus' name. First of all, we need to know that it is not a magic formula. It's not a magic formula that's going to cause God to say yes to anything that we ask him for. The phrase can suffer all kinds of abuse um, by both believers and unbelievers alike. Scripture doesn't teach that God has bound himself to respond to some phrase uh, so that when a person utters that phrase, he is required to perform. Consider with me the power of the name. Words are inadequate to describe the power of the name. Consider its majesty and its power and its holiness. Words are not enough. And so the Holy Spirit must show us, give us some understanding and teach us the power of the name the name. God has carefully and patiently taught us his name. Uh, he introduced himself to Moses and Moses, uh, there was a voice coming from the burning bush and Moses asked the question, whom shall I say sends me? Whom shall I tell them sent me? And that voice, which was God's voice answered, tell them I am has sent you. Tell them I am has sent you. So he gave an open-ended name. I am. So he leaves room for our understanding of him and our relationship with him to grow. 
And whenever we encounter him, we learn and experience more of him that can go in that category of I am. And so as we learn new truths about his character and his ways, we learn new aspects of the name or his name. He progressively revealed himself throughout scripture with his names. All through history, he gave himself names in certain situations. He has lots of names that he has given himself, that he has said, this is what you call me. This is who I am. I was thinking about um, the multiple names that some kings and queens have. Um, think about Queen Elizabeth. I love Queen Elizabeth, but she, um, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? She is, she is in fact Queen Elizabeth II. And so she is Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor. Queen Elizabeth II. And then there's Prince Charles. Uh, Prince Charles is Charles, Prince of Wales. Charles Philip Arthur George Mountbatten Windsor. Lots of names. Well, God, being the king of the universe, he's got a lot of names. He's the eternal king of the universe. And so his names are going to be Adonai, El Shaddai, El Elyon, El Olam, Elohim, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Sabaoth, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Ra'ah, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Sidkenu. And then with Jesus, there's Lord, Lamb of God, the light of the world, the way, the truth, the resurrection and the life, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Savior. How many more are there? That's just a sampling of all of the names of God. How can words describe him? They really can't, but they've all we've got. So God will use those to tell us things about himself. Now let's ask this. Um, how would you describe an elephant? If all you had ever seen or touched of an elephant was his tail, you perhaps would say he, well, he's long and skinny. Or how would you describe earth? Let's say that um, if you'd only been to one place, then your description would depend on where you were and what time of year it was. Let's say you're in the mountains and that's the only place you've ever been. You might conclude that all of earth is like the mountains. Or if you had ever been to the beach, you might conclude that all of earth was like the beach. You can't describe earth from one place. You can't describe an elephant just by knowing about his tail. Certainly, God is bigger than earth. And so one view of him, one facet of him, is not enough to define him. And so he wants us to know his whole name. Ooh, that's lots. His whole name, his name in all its forms has been consolidated into one name. All of those names consolidated into the, consolidated into the name Jesus. Jesus. John chapter 17, verse 11, we covered this in our last session and we saw Jesus pray. And in verse 11, he says, Holy Father, keep them in thy name 
the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are one. So Holy Father, thy name you have given to me. So the name of God has been consolidated into the name Jesus. And so another translation of that that I love, I think it's the New International Version, says, protect them by the power of your name. The power of your name. The name you gave me. So it's a powerful name. Many Jews, uh, out of reverence and the understanding that one word is not sufficient for God to call him, uh, to, to use to, to call God, they use the word Hashem. And that means the name, the name. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2 and verses 9 through 11. Paul tells us, There also God highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the word Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, is a code word for the name, the name. So when we say the name of Jesus with reverence, when we use it knowing that he is the Son of God, that he is Lord, Savior, that he is holy, it reverberates through all of the spiritual realms. The Bible will call them the heavenlies, but that means through the good and the evil. It reverberates through all of the spiritual realm as the name. And evil forces tremble. The Bible tells us that demons believe and tremble. What do they not do? They don't bow. They don't bow. And so when this name, the name, is spoken, heaven acts. All of the spiritual realm reverberates. Ooh, his name has been mentioned. His name has been used. When we ask in his name, appropriately. All the resources of heaven become available to us to use in bringing glory to the Father. That is the purpose of the Son, to bring glory to the Father. And so whenever we use that word appropriately, whenever we come in that name before God the Father, we pray to the Father through the Son, through the Son, Jesus, then we bring glory to the Father, and God's going to use that. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Son can bring glory to the Father. So hold that in mind because that's key in powerful praying. May the Holy Spirit reveal to us the power of the name. It's not something we can just explain and accept in words. There's something that the Holy Spirit can do in us that makes us stand in awe of the name. What does it mean 
to use the name of Jesus in prayer. We have to look at power and authority for a minute. And that's another one of those things we could spend a whole lesson on. It's a fascinating topic and um, really interesting to plow through the differences between power and authority. But for right now, let's just mention it. Power and authority are not the same thing. Power is ability. Authority is a legal right to use the power, really. But power is ability, authority is a legal right. A person with authority is a person who has been authorized by somebody bigger than he or she. God has authorized us to use his name, that powerful name, the name of Jesus, the name, that name that encompasses all of the attributes and aspects of the character of God. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Who has all authority in heaven and on earth? God the Father. He gives it to the Son. The Holy Spirit participates. And so they have authorized us to speak in his name. Did you ever use another person's name to establish your credibility. Sometimes we may be known as calling it name dropping, but sometimes it's really legitimate and maybe in your job or in a responsibility that you have, you have gone as a representative of another person or a company into a place and use that name. And they respond to that name and they might not respond to yours. They may not know you from Adam's house cat. Uh, my daddy told me lots of times, when you go in there, tell them who you are. Mention my name. And so what my dad was doing was, because he had a good relationship with those people and he knew them, they knew him, then I could establish some credibility when they didn't know me by using my dad's name. You've done kind of the same thing probably. This is... There, there is original authority and there is delegated authority. Original authority and delegated authority. And the person with original, uh, with, with original authority actually owns the authority. Authority is an interesting word. The beginning of it is the word author. A-U-T-H-O-R. What is an author? A creator. The one with the ideas. And so... Given that authority, a person with original authority owns the authority. Delegated authority is only in true effect when it exactly matches the purpose and the mind of the original authority. So delegated authority is representative. Original authority is owned. So let's say that... Um, I'm president of an, of an organization, and I must sign all of the checks that are written in that organization's account. The organization delegated that authority to me when I became president of that organization. I have the authority to access the organization's resources. I must use those resources the way the organization intends. 
as those resources represent the organization. However, the organization has determined to apply those resources. That's what I must do as the authority, the designated authority to deal with that organization's resources. I do not have the authority to access the resources for my own benefit or for any purposes other than those that are set and approved by the original authority. Well, my signature releases resources, organization, the organization's resources to carry out the organization's plans. So I act in the name of that organization. I'm the designated authority to use the resources of that organization. And to be faithful, I have the responsibility of being faithful to what that organization thinks what the resources are supposed to go for. Well, two things to consider here. The first one is if I decide I'm not going to do anything, if I just decide I'm not going to sign a check, then I don't exercise the authority that is delegated to me. And the organization's purpose is not going to be accomplished because I'm not willing to be the conduit through which those resources of the organization will flow. <coughs> if I try to access those resources for my own personal benefit, what is that? It's fraud. It's embezzlement. And so let's just take for a minute that I'm president of an organization that feeds hungry children. And I have the authority from the organization to sign checks that the money will go to feed hungry children. To feed hungry children. Well, let's just decide, whoo, I've got the authority to sign this check. Um, I need a new car. So I write a check to buy myself a new car out of the organization's funds, embezzlement. And so we can't do that. We know not to do that. I have committed fraud if I do that. Why? Because I am not functioning in keeping with the purpose and the mind of the organization to feed hungry children. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Jesus said, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much? All. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. It's his. He is the original authority. You and I do not have any authority. We have delegated authority, and that delegated authority is to exercise, is to be exercised as his authority as long as it is in keeping with his mind, his thoughts, his purpose, and his intentions, in keeping with his name. 
So when we become a delegated authority of a name, it, we are required, we are expected to be true to the meaning of the name. The name. So when we use Jesus' name, then we need to be faithful in whatever we're doing for it to be in accordance with His will and His purpose and His name, all of His character. So delegated authority is only operative when it is the exact representation of the original authority. That's when it's used truly, responsibly. If I start trying to use that authority for my own purpose, then I'm fraudulent. Doesn't work. So in prayer, when I pray, I am exercising spiritual authority only if I'm speaking Jesus' desires and thoughts. Now, we've talked a lot about how important it is God has chosen to use us to pray His will back to Him so that that will is released on earth. So when I pray in Jesus' name, when I pray as a designated authority of Jesus, when I go to the Father, He looks at me and He doesn't see Sharon and Jesus standing there together. He sees Jesus in the form of Sharon. And the authority is given to the believer to use appropriately, to use the way God wants it used. And so when I use his name, I use it understanding that I am speaking his desires and his thoughts. All prayer in Jesus' name is prayer that is initiated and controlled and directed by Him. For some real prayer times, it's important to get before Him and say, what is it that you want me to pray? What is on your heart? Or He may have quickened some scripture to us that we know we need to pray back to Him. So all prayer in Jesus' name is initiated and controlled by Him. He will put a thought in your mind. He will put a burden in your heart that He is waiting for you to pray back to Him as a designated authority. We really pray in His name when we know and we share His desires. Well, how do we get there? By being in His Word, by knowing His promises. We learn here what God is like, what He wants. He knows that He sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. So, and, and Jesus is wanting the Father to be glorified. So when we pray, we're going to pray in accordance with that kind of title over the top, that thought over the top of it. The secret to powerful praying is not a method. It's not a method. It is a relationship. The relationship we have with the Father through the Son. So sometimes we get caught up in a trap of prayer methods. And so we maybe prayed for something and then we start thinking, well, did I pray long enough? Did I use the right words? Did I have enough faith? Did I pray fervently enough? Um, 
methods are not the issue. He is the issue. And how we come to him is the issue. What our relationship with him is, is the issue. Catherine Marshall, maybe you've read some of her things. She was the wife of Peter Marshall, lived some years ago. She has written some good books on her testimony on the Holy Spirit, some things. But she shared a lesson that she learned when she was learning to pray. She wanted to be a powerful prayer. So she was doing some studying and letting the Lord examine her heart before him. And so she shared that she was trying to work up her faith. She was trying to work it up by positive thinking and positive confession and doing whatever she needed to do to get herself all pumped up for her faith. We're going to talk about faith in another lesson, but just think about this. The Holy Spirit showed her that she was putting faith in a technique rather than in the faithful one, rather than in the person. So all of this is based on relationship, our relationship with God. And when we put our faith in faith, well, I need to have enough faith. Well, yeah, we do, but that's not the issue. When we put our faith in faith rather than in the faithful one, on whom does the burden fall? Falls on me. I've known of people through the years that maybe have been in a difficult set of circumstances and so they'd pray and they'd pray and they'd pray and they'd claim their answer and it would, didn't happen. And they would feel guilty because it didn't work. And so they would ask the same questions we've just talked. I just didn't have enough faith. Well, if you'd had enough faith, that wouldn't have happened. Mm-mm. It's based on relationship, not method, where we go to the Lord, we pour out our hearts to Him, we ask Him to let us see His will, His thoughts. We go there willing to join Him in what He's doing. And sometimes He has to show us what that is. God has chosen to use us as His delegated authority to activate his will on the earth. I will never understand that. Since I've been working on this study, that has come to me so many times when my heart just goes, that God would wait, that he would show us what he wants us to pray back to him and that he's not going to do anything until we do until we pray back, back, back to him. He has given us his authority, the authority to bring his power into situations on earth. His one purpose, Jesus' one purpose, is to glorify the Father. So whatever our prayers are in his name are going to have to glorify the Father. They can't glorify me glorify my church or glorify my pastor. They have to glorify the Father. The proof that we are to pray with authority is that we have been authorized to use the name of Jesus. Now think of the power of that name. 
think that when you and I as children of God properly use the name of Jesus, all of the spiritual realm just... (laughs) And so the name of Jesus reverberates throughout heaven. Angels are ready to be sent. And forces of evil are just trembling. Because they know. They know. When God's people speak the name of Jesus, all the forces in the spiritual realm respond accordingly. The powerful name. The name. See, we are the conduit and Jesus is acting through us. We are the Jesus in the flesh in the world today. We're the ones who've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus if we are his child. God has placed in the hands of every believer the most miraculous and supernatural power the world will ever know. That's why we've got to come back to, oh, well, I can pray. Well, I've done all I know to do, so now I will pray. No, no, no. Recognize your position in Christ and in the power of the name. It is supernatural power. It is miraculous power. But, you know, it is there and available to us. But mm, we still live powerless lives. We pray powerless prayers and we do powerless work. And we just do the best we can and hope it's going to be all right. That's because we haven't learned something yet. We haven't learned our access to the power of the name that he has given to us. And what happens then is the church is weak. And when the church is weak, the nation is weak. We will never accomplish what God wants accomplished until we learn to go to him, claiming the power and the authority he's given to us. It is a power and authority to do the works of God, to perform the mind of God, to perform the will of God, not to use the name to get what I want. Our ability, the ability that God has given us, the privilege and the responsibility that God has given us to use the name of Jesus is not a license that allows us to make any demands of God that we want to make. Not a license. The prayers of Elijah and Jehoshaphat show us that. Get your Bibles out and study those. My goodness. But those prayers show us that Elijah and Jehoshaphat, in their example, they went to God in humility. They went to God in a sense of deep humility. And and they went with boldness, not pride. Jesus is invited to come to the throne with boldness. Hebrews. We're invited to come there with boldness, but not pride not demanding. We go in humility. Humility means agreeing with God about who we are and what we can do. It's taking our rightful place. 
It's being his instrument, his conduit. So humility eliminates the idea that we can tell God what to do. We've got to be careful about this praying that says, I'm going to name such and such. This is going to happen because I say so. And then I use Jesus' name. Uh -uh. When there is pride, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It does not advance the kingdom of God. So we don't tell what God what to do. What we're doing is actually crying out to him in desperation because we can't do it. We're establishing our dependence on him. We've stepped out of our independence into dependence on God. And so we are crying out to him in this desperation to intervene in our circumstances. And how's he going to intervene? He's going to intervene in his ways, his ways of righteousness, salvation, mercy, love, whatever he needs to do. Sometimes it may be vengeance. But he's going to react in accordance with who he is, what all of those names have told us about him, that he is a, the, the God of peace. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is um, the shepherd. He is the righteous one. He is our health. He's our healer. He's all of those things. So he's going to be who he is. I need to position myself so that I can receive those things. And I position myself with humility and an intent to be obedient to what he says. This may be a good example. When you're going to pour milk from a pitcher into a glass, then that pitcher may be over here just pouring milk and pouring milk and pouring milk, but my glass is over here. The only way that I'm going to get the milk is if I position the glass to be in the flow of the milk that's pouring from the pitcher. We've got to position ourselves before God to receive what it is. It's, he trusted us when he says, all right, I'm going to give you the authority to use my name. Sometimes our parents, as my mother got older, I could sign her checks. Here's my checkbook. She trusted me to do with her money what needed to be done when it needed to be done. She trusted me. God trusts us. He says, here, use my name. Use it in the right way. Use it with the right intent. So how do we go to God with a sense of authority? Where does that authority come from? Well, first of all, we must have a genuine personal relationship with God. We must be his child. We saw that when we looked at the model prayer when Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. Father-child relationship means that you have been born into his family. That you have a father relationship, father-child relationship with God. And we have that relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Our authority is based on our position in Christ. So that if I go to God and I say, I've come here in Jesus' name and I'm doing it properly, then God's going to look at me and say, oh, well, what does he want? And I need to be prepared to tell him what he wants, what the son wants. That's praying in Jesus' name. That's standing in his place. 
So I've got to be in him. I've got to be his child to receive his authority. Secondly, we must know God's thoughts. We must know something about how God thinks. Um, this is one of the reasons we have God's word. One of the reasons that we have scriptures. The more we saturate our minds with scripture, with God's word, the more like God we're going to think. We're going to absorb this. It's going to transform our minds. And we're going to begin to look at this book and know, you know, I get this. This is what he would want. This is what he would think. Maybe people you know well, you're, you know what they're going to want. You know what they're thinking. So his views become ours because we have absorbed this word of God. His attitudes become ours because they rub off on us. They transform us from the inside out when we are in his word. And so it becomes easier to know his will over a long period of time. So sometimes you're in a situation and you may look at it and because you've been in the word, maybe you've been a student of the word for, for a long time. You look at that and say, oh, oh, that's not God. God didn't do that. That's not the way he thinks. That's not his heart. And so once we know his thoughts, then we can pray in agreement with his will. That's why it's important to know the promises of God so that we can pray in accordance with those promises. Third thing is we must have pure hearts, pure hearts. A pure heart really is an undivided heart, but we also know that a pure heart is a heart that if we're going to pray with authority, we've got to have no unconfessed, undealt with sins in our lives. It is vital that you and I as believers keep ourselves clean so that when something comes up in me and I think that is not like Jesus, then I need to confess that and repent of it and ask God to replace that thought, replace that behavior with what is pleasing to him so that I stay clean by constantly confessing and repenting. Pure hearts. No known unconfessed sin in our lives with repentance. Satan will always try to use sin against us when we pray. He may remind you of everything you've done since you were two. But you take authority. Now, this is another whole lesson. Satan has power, but he doesn't have any authority unless we let him. We have the authority. The one who has all authority has given us the privilege and the responsibility of using his name in any situation. Well, number four, we need pure motives. Pure motives. I love to study the prayer of Elijah. And Elijah said, Lord, you know why I did this. You know why I did this. I am your servant and I have done all of these things at your word. So once God has given us his word and we're in that position to do what God has told us to do in his name, then we can say we can see success because we're going to know we're doing it at his word. God's not going to tell us to do something and empower us to do something and then us fall flat on our faces. Something's wrong. And so we've got to be aware 
then when, when I'm going to pray with pure motives, I've got to be aware of my own selfish desires because sometimes they really get in the way. They really get in the way of praying God's things because I got some stuff I want. And so I need to ask God to show me what those selfish desires are in my heart and then I need to confess them and repent of them. I learned to lay my desires before him. Why? Because he is Lord. He has all authority. And his goal is that I would be like him to bring glory to the Father. Now, let me, let me just hasten to say this. Not every personal request is selfish. And I've been thinking about all of this, you know, that who is, is the only time I can pray when I've got this word from God and I'm going to go to him with boldness and I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. Is, is that the only time that I can pray? I need to learn a lot more about this, but right now I'm thinking, you know what, sometimes I just want to sit down and have a conversation with God and not go through all the, in Jesus' name. I'm in his presence by the power of the name of Jesus. That's how I got there to start with. But, you know, I need to get before him. Sometimes I just need to get before him and just say, you know what, this is the desire of my heart. You already know that. If it's not in keeping with your desires, would you show that to me? So that I just relate my heart to him. I can just have a conversation with him. Sometimes that conversation may be about just giving him glory, just giving him the value that he deserves. And then number five, we must persist in prayer. We must persist in prayer. We must pray until we see an answer. It's called praying through. Once God gives you a burden or you see something that he wants to accomplish, then it is our job to keep on praying until it's answered. I've known and talked with people who have prayed for family members to be saved for over 40 years. But after 40 years, they were. So we continue in the battle until we see victory. Prayer is a battlefield. Prayer is the war. Prayer is where we fight the war. And once we overcome the evil forces in the heavenlies, and that's the way we do it in prayer, then we can see God's will done and we see it work in our daily lives. And we become that conduit that brings the power of God from heaven to circumstances on earth. And we're going to go, yes. And God's going to get the glory. And we're going to know that it's because of Him and His authority, not because of anything we did, except just getting a position to be the conduit. Getting the position to be the conduit. When we pray with the authority God gave us, we're going to see our prayers become effective. We're going to see our prayers become effective tools, the ones that they were meant to be. That was God's intentions, that they would be tools. Prayers are going to be tools to bring God's will from heaven to earth. The prayers of His people, through His people. Our lives and the lives of those around us are going to be changed. You're going to see things happen. His authority has been delegated to us. So we've got to decide whether or not we're going to make it a part of our lives. 
I'm gonna tell you, it takes time and energy, commitment. But once we do that for a while, it's not gonna be a time of dread. Oh, I've gotta to go to prayer time today. It's gonna to be something you can't wait to get to because it's precious fellowship in his word based on the name, the powerful name of Jesus because that name of Jesus represents all that God is. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you through the Lord Jesus Christ and ask you to teach us to pray. Amen. Thank you.